Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. None of that matters. And that's where I lived before I turned around 12. And then this ego mind came into me that was like, no, I have to absolutely rock everything. And that, that was the beginning of Thrival. Now, 33 years later, all that's falling apart. Life's much better now, but it doesn't come without a price. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the final episode of this series, looking at the five stages of engagement through the lens of accountability, you'll learn what keeps most people from achieving flow for more than a few fleeting moments of their life and how you can get closer to achieving flow. If you're willing to put in the work or paradoxically stop working so hard to get there. This series was originally recorded as part of the Accountability Path 2.0 course from clearandopen.com. If you want to commit to doing this work and move toward a more engaged state of being, as described in the five stages, the next best step is this course. You can find a link to the course in the show notes, and the full course catalog is available at courses.clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. So flow is when you realize exactly what I'm talking about, because Thrival is all about creating happiness, essentially. You know, creating a sense of, um, it can be fulfillment too, but it's all about what I want. And then what eventually happens is that life beats you up enough and causes you to fail enough that you start to realize, you know what, maybe it's less about what I want and more about just like what's called for. And we have an intuition about flow. Everybody does it. It's the reason why we watch professional sports. One of them, I think. The reason we love to watch great athletes is because they're very often operating in a flow state. They have practiced what they do so much that they can do extraordinary things. You know, there's a, I forget whether it was Penn or Teller. I think it was Teller of the Penn and Teller duo. He said, sometimes magic is just practicing something more than any ordinary person would. And I have uh, saw a documentary about those guys, you know, the amount of practice that magic takes. It's, you know, no less than great musicians. And, uh, you know, in musicianship, in sports, in other performance art, you know, stuff where it has to look effortless. That effortlessness is produced by the flow state. The flow state is about effortless power. Uh, martial arts. Yeah, there are, there's just, that's where magic happens. And we love to watch it. And we've all experienced it, even if here or there, not very often, not for very long. We've all tasted this. And flow to me is, it's a, it's a state of surrendered will where our intentions, our will, our actions 
moves so with the flow, with the grain of life that it feels effortless. You know, when you're at the airport and you're walking and then you come across one of those moving sidewalks and you don't stop walking, you're still walking, but suddenly you're going way faster. It's like that times a hundred. It's just where everything gets so easy and you don't even have to think. In fact, often the mind gets really quiet in the flow state. And it's really interesting to think about how all of the, or most anyway, of the human diversions that we use, reading fiction or watching TV or playing sports or whatever it is, all of our diversions serve to get us out of our mind, don't they? You see, it's all about like not wanting to have to think and destructive things too, drinking, drugs, you know, we love to get out of our minds and that's an attraction to the flow state. Now, I'm not equating have drinking six beers at the end of a day to the flow state. I'm just saying that's what we're drawn to. The flow state is not the approximation of that no mind place. It is that no mind place. You've all experienced it, whether you put words around it or not. We all know that feeling you're in the exact right place, the exact right time, doing the exact right thing, and it's easy, right? And it may only last a minute, maybe less, but you never forget it. And if you're like me, you spend the rest of your life trying to get back there because that's what hooked me as a kid. It's probably started with athletics when I first experienced that. In athletics, I thought that there's a place there. It's a, it's a state of consciousness. And it became the most important thing to me. And that's what drove everything I've done, everything I've learned. <sighs> Gives me kind of chills talking about it. So flow is the domain where you in, begin a serious investigation of what is that place? What is that? Any words you put to it are not it. We could only approximate. And, you know, I could talk about this for hours, but in five or 10 minutes, what do I want to say about it? I think the most important thing to realize, because when we dip our toes into flow, usually our reaction is like, whoa, that was awesome. I want me some more of that. And then what you usually find is, that your personal intention to make that happen does not work, right? You can't turn it on and off. You can practice. You can set conditions for it to happen. You know, by doing 100 free throws before you leave practice every night, you can set conditions for flow to happen. You can practice that same scale a thousand times with the hope that when you're jamming with somebody that music arises, that music happens. Music is not something you play, ask any musician. You don't play music. You play what you play with the hope that music happens. It's the same way, same way with meditation. You don't meditate. You set conditions with the intention for meditation to happen. That's flow. Like uh, Obi-Wan said, it, it commands us, yet it obeys us. So uh, I'm going to go back to Rockstar because you just pointed out a friend of mine from all the way back to early grade school. His dad was our pastor. So the kid at the end of Rockstar that gets up on stage from the crowd, 
at the very end of the movie, that's his name's Miles Kennedy. I grew up with him. Yeah, yeah. So his dad was Miles our, Kennedy. Yeah, Sweet. yeah. He, his dad was our pastor growing up. So his dad's really. I just saw him like two months ago. He did a little Spokane concert. So cool. What's funny is Miles was always a really nice kid, and I rode the bus with him, and he uh, he would sing on the bus. Like literally, he was he would write and sing on the bus, junior high, high school. Was in band. He was first chair trumpet. I was third chair trumpet. And what's interesting is all the way through his career, he was in a lot of bands, and he completely missed the whole grunge thing. And he just <laughs> sang. Basically, he sang and played metal when metal wasn't popular. Bold. And he just kept doing it for twenty years, and people kept trying to nudge him to go in that because he was always talented. He could always sing. He could always play it. He always just lived it. And what's fascinating is he was always himself. And then at some point, and he really wasn't, like he's really popular now and he does stuff with Slash and he was even asked to sing for Led Zeppelin when they were talking about a reunion tour kind of a deal. He's still a really humble, nice kid. Like he still lives in Spokane and just actually downsized his his house to get, you know, even a more, he's just a, a nice guy. And he was just always, him and it's it's funny like when you see someone who has probably always had it like he was never posturing we just and people kind of tease him for singing on the bus and having a metal band when metal wasn't popular and he was like yeah that's what i did and he just he was very consistent in that so Mm. i didn't realize that um like when you when you when you describe it i'm like oh I think I know someone in your movie that, that shows that, right? Yeah, sometimes it sounds like, to, to me, it sounds like he's living in a, a, a level of flow state and, and skip the, the thrival part. And sometimes that's how it happens. It's not how it happened for me. And so all, the order of these can be you know, totally unique. So it's important to recognize that. But the way I see mostly it happens is people arrive at flow through the failure of thrival. Hey, if someone can get there without having to go through that, wonderful. However, I think it often limits the depth of their flow. Because it's like um, the first two phases is like having a, you know, a 1982 Datsun for a car. Got a crappy car. And then you get to security. And like that's upgraded to like a 2008 Honda Civic or something. And then Thrival is getting a Ferrari. And then Flow is driving your Ferrari into the lake. So the degree that Flow can take you and deliver to you this depth of know, wisdom, um, effortless power, intelligence, creativity, whatever it ends up being for that person has to do with the degree to which you can surrender. And if you create a real, if you have a really nice Ferrari and you're willing somehow to drive that into the lake, that's a bigger risk than driving, what did I say it was? The 82 Datsun into the lake, right? So it's not a judgment. Because that may be the person's destiny is to have a, you know, a, a moderate level of flow without having taken any really big thrival risks. But when the ego really crashes and burns in thrival by looking for greatness and then failing at it, 
the depth of the reward is deeper. You know, like in the movie, uh, Mark Wahlberg, like he falls from really high up, right? Wrecks his life, loses the love of his life, you know, becomes the kind of a blithering drug uh, induced idiot that he is and just exhausts himself. So he falls pretty far. And then that creates a humility and an appreciation that otherwise wouldn't have had. All of the humility that I've learned, and hopefully it's your opinion that I have some, because <laughs> I'm always worried about coming across as arrogant. All of the humility I've learned has been through abject failure. And I can see in the past, in retrospect, how much I needed it. So all of the car thing all the way through, from the depths into the Ferrari, until we get the Ferrari and Thrival. And I thought I was getting how you go from thrival to flow until you said they drove it into the water. So I think in thrival, you're trying, you're thinking about, ah, you're creating happiness. You want all these extra things. You get this Ferrari, you get all these things. And then it's not enough or you fail. And then you kind of mosey into flow. But I I don't get that. Yeah, thanks for asking. It's let me be more specific. You get in the back seat. And God drives your Ferrari into the lake and you let it. Hmm? No, I'm just thinking. Because I'll put more words around it. I appreciate you asking. It's hard to describe. The healthy and productive failure at Thrival is not just failure in content. It's, It's the surrender and realization that you don't actually know what's best for you. Because you tried that. So could you... Could you say that you're in thrival and you're gaining all these things and then even it's an uncomfortable, you're not happy, um, you're not getting what you thought you would, so you settle back into the person you're supposed to be. To me, it kind of sounds like a backward step. but It is a backward step. And 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 then then they would say that. But could you still be in the, could you be in flow with the Ferrari and your cars and everything, but you've given up the need for more and more and more. It could be. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the movement from thrival to flow is a, is a letting go. It's a surrender. So thrival is all about building up construction and flow is about deconstruction. So you, you come face to face with what is really unfulfilling for you. And you start letting go of stuff. You start realizing you've been working too hard to make your marriage work and you let it go. You start realizing that the the industry you've been in for 20 years, you hate. Ed's been working with that. And you let it go. Uh, You realize that that you're heterosexual instead of homosexual or the other way around. Some letting go of an idea of who you were happens. And it's often marked by some kind of subtraction. You do less, not more. And then something arises after that. There's a space. It's like you have to put down the gallon and be empty-handed for... Sorry. You have to put down the teaspoon that you've had of fulfillment and be empty-handed for a while before you can pick up the gallon. And actually, you don't pick up the gallon. It just appears in your hand when it wants to. And so the reason most people only have fleeting experiences of flow 
rather than living in it a significant amount of time, which is entirely possible and happens. But the reason most people only touch upon flow is why? Does anybody know for 50 points? What is the emotion slash psychological dynamic that keeps us in thrival and out of flow? Well, I'll just take a guess, but maybe it's all of our upbringing for our whole lives. That it's up for me. Certainly, it's yeah, it's our upbringing which produces, which produces, which produces what orientation toward life? Improve. Yeah, but in ego, in egocentric. Yeah. Yes, specifically control. That's the thing. That's the, the, the primary governing dynamic from thrival to flow is loss of control because thrival is all about maximizing control, manifestation, making this all happen. And then you get to experience that it isn't what you want. See Rockstar, right? Mark Wahlberg's character, what's his name? Chris and then Izzy, right? Izzy is his band name. Chris, you know, is passionate about the music. He sings better than the lead singer of this actual band does. Gets into the band, like the ideal, like winning the lottery dream. He's suddenly dropped into this band and he gets to live the dream so he can experience that it's not his dream. Well, what is? Like what, what happens? And can, can you imagine this for a second? If it hasn't happened to you, imagine what would it be like to have all of your dreams come true and then look square in the face of how unfulfilled you still are? That's catastrophic to the ego. Because the ego is made of, in one way, who it thinks it's destined to become and how you'll feel then. We experience this in little ways when we're looking forward to getting a new Xbox or a new car or whatever. And we think, oh, I'm so excited. When I have this thing, then everything's going to be great, right? And then what happens? You get that thing and it's not it, right? That's what happens. That's the ego. The movement from thrival to flow is when this happens either because lots of little things added up to it or one big thing happened and the ego just goes, crap, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then life goes, oh boy, now I can actually flow into you and you can get what you really wanted all along because you don't get to control it. And this is in the esoteric versions of every spirituality or religion, not the mainstream versions, but every esoteric version, this is what they're talking about. Enlightenment in Zen, God realization in Hinduism, you know, every uh, different spirituality religion has a different name for it. Self-actualization in psychology, this peak place of just operating with what is in this effortless way. That's what we all want. But the ultimate price, the you you are now, doesn't get to have it. That's the price. And that's why so few people are willing to go there. So I'm currently in the 
low to medium levels of flow in the work that I'm doing, and I can, I've told you guys about some of the prices I pay, my mind's gone completely blank about five or six times since, since I started this webcast. The periods are getting smaller and the panic of, oh crap, what was I just talking about? What am I going to say next is getting smaller. Every 10 minutes I drive, I get completely lost for about a minute because these are all symptoms of what happens when the personality, the local you, the ego starts to let go. It's like what was a wall of your ego boundary becomes like Swiss cheese. It's not as strong as before. And the flow of life starts coming through those holes. And you know what? It turns out it doesn't care about you doing a webcast without losing your mind a few times. It doesn't care. It doesn't care about you getting to your destination without getting momentarily disoriented. It doesn't care. I want to hear a funny story. I got just enough time for this. This was great. So I, um, I do this thing called gyrotonic. It's kind of like Pilates. But it's like learning a martial art. It's very sophisticated. You got to coordinate your mind and your body all at once. So I have this personal trainer where I'm doing it about 15 minutes away. And um, uh, on my way there, I had this mini awakening where I just experienced reality for just a 10 or 20 seconds beyond the realm of thought and mind. And it was like really intense. And then I went to, I did the session. I had a really hard time because I've just felt kind of lost and uncoordinated. Um, because I, I just couldn't focus my mind. And at the end of the session, I had this powerful realization because she was telling me, do this and point this. and it's, Sometimes it's really complicated and I just my mind was not there. And I remember, I felt, I felt this frustration. And it was like this fuzzy, like I wanted to pull myself out of the fuzziness and I'm squinting my mind. And I was like, oh man, I remember this. This was how I felt when I was like 12, coming out of the haze of my childhood and realizing that my mind was not focused to be able to deal with reality as it was now arising, middle school and all that. And I remembered that I was in this a vague kind of oneness state for pretty much all of my childhood. And then I pulled myself out of it with my mind, which is what all of us do in one, one way or another. And that was super good because I can, I'm can. i starting to sort of reclaim that. Like, okay, where's the end of having a clear, focused mind and being connected to spirit in that way? And then I came home and I had my friend Alberto is uh, helping me. Uh, not helping me. He's re- rebuilding my deck that is rotten in the joist. And he said, okay, I need you to hold this while I screw this in. And he does something. And I'm just like totally fascinated by what he's looking at, by what he's doing. And I forget that I'm supposed to hold like this 200 pound railing so it doesn't fall over. Well, it just falls over, breaks a sprinkler line, just water gushing out of place. I'm looking at it, go, oh crap. He like gestures, like go turn the water off. I go do that. I think I have the parts to plug it for overnight because it needs to be fixed because it goes, the water line goes to another building. And, uh, I, I don't have the parts. I, I, the hardware store closes in 20 minutes. I try to muster up my thrival energy. I go all the way to the hardware store. I make it with 10 minutes to spare. I get a bunch of different parts just in case. And it's all three quarter. And it turns out the line was one inch. All the wrong parts. I heroically dragged my... Heroically made it there, you know, making great time. The thrival energy mustered up and completely failed. 
But I did figure out a way to patch the, to plug the line with pieces of tarp and some hose clamps, which I was very proud of. But that's a great example of, of productive failure because to me, the lesson was accountability. The me, the lesson was it's okay. You can let go of this competence thing, this identity competence thing you've had. You can let go. You don't have to be heroic anymore. It's okay that you dropped the railing. We actually needed to rebuild that piece of pipe anyway because of how it was going to change with the new shape of the deck. So that work had to be done anyway. I figured out a way to plug it overnight. I wasted an hour going back and forth to the hardware store. but And then I noticed all this shame in me of like, God, you're such an idiot. How could you not bring a piece of pipe with you? How could you... You had the intuition in the store that three-quarter stuff looked awfully small. Why did you not listen to yourself? And then I was like, it's okay. None of that matters. And that's where I lived before I turned around 12. And then this ego mind came into me that was like, no, I have to absolutely rock everything. And that, that was the beginning of Thrival. Now, 33 years later, all that's falling apart. Life's much better now, but it doesn't come without a price. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.